Hello and welcome to Happy Snappin', a podcast where we explore the world of photography with inspiring, innovative, and positive creatives. I'm your host, James Warner. Thank you for joining today. In today's episode, we are talking to Vishal Kumar, the CEO and co-founder of Alice Camera, a camera startup creating a computational photography-driven micro four-thirds camera controlled by your smartphone. We talk about how the Alice camera started, the benefits of using its unique hardware and software architecture, especially in the camera world, and the challenges they faced along the way trying to manufacture and distribute this camera. At the time of this recording, they're still not in customer hands yet, hopefully soon, and Vishal addresses that. It gets a little nerdy, but stay with us because I think this conversation says a lot about the future of dedicated cameras. Enjoy. Vishal, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on, James. Really glad to be part of this uh, podcast series. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. So I am curious what first got you into photography. Yeah, so I've been exposed to the arts from a really young age. Uh, Even though I studied economics and data science at university, when I was at high school, um, I did fine art as a core um, part of my education. So I did a lot of traveling when I was at high school. Uh, I visited Rome when I was 17. I went to Paris when I was 16. I went to Barcelona when I was 17 and Amsterdam when I was 18. And I was really lucky to, to get these experiences. But on this trip, on these trips, I was required to document everything. And oh, okay. the school had a old Sony Alpha camera from sort of 2006 at the time. Can't remember what the camera was, but I have all the photos somewhere just locked away on file. But if I'm going to be perfectly honest, uh, I'm more of a video person than a photography mm. person. Um, so across my social media channels, I've gathered something like 30,000 followers just around my brand uh, as a cultural data scientist. Uh, And what that means is um, I apply AI and machine learning to the art market and creative industries. And I've done Mm. a fair amount of public speaking around that niche. And um, when I was growing that brand, um, I started to monetize my content Uh, and I was approached by a university to do a video lecture series called Data Science for the Art Market. And that's when I bought my first um, video YouTuber mirrorless camera. And uh, that's when I understood that this thing called the creator economy was really taking off. And there were people around the world that were using video as a mechanism to communicate uh, insights. And so I would say I'm a bit more of a video person than a photography person. But as I'm getting older, I'm getting a bit more into photography. Yeah, that's cool. Because I've seen some stuff out on the, I don't know who takes all the photos on the Alice camera Instagram, but there's some cool stuff out there with vintage lenses. And I don't know if some of that's your stuff or. Yeah, yeah, some of it's mine. Um, But most, I think Liam is the the in-house photographer in the team. Um, Liam and Ollie. Liam's got some old um, Russian Soviet era lenses and cameras. Um, and I've sort of picked that up a little bit more over time, but, um, it's a mixture of all of us taking photos, uh, for the, for, for the social media. Yeah. Gotcha. That's super cool. So, um, going back to the data science merged with, I mean, I guess fundamentally art, but with video and, and photography and, um, just the surge of content out there on social media. Um, give me some of the examples of, I know you from Alice camera, but give me some of the other examples of. Um, like that talk you were a part of with data science and the in the art world yeah so i worked at an auction house called sotheby's before uh, i started the company and sotheby's is one of the i think i think yeah one of the oldest auction houses in the world um and it's been around for a really long time uh when i was there i was using data science to win business um and what i was doing these talks about was how to value works of art um what uh, how you know 
what markets are doing well versus other markets? Uh, is it that particular artists are doing well within those markets? Are there a subsection of artists within the market that are performing better than others? So I was taking very much a sort of quantitative approach to a notoriously subjective industry. Sure. Um, And there seemed to be quite a bit of appetite just for people who wanted to have a more sort of quantitative understanding of of the art market. Uh, So a lot of the lectures were just around that. But then increasingly, um, I started to get approached by some cities. Um, I've done some work for the European Commission and the mayor of London. And these people were sort of coming to me to find ways in which they could integrate uh, data science and and AI within the creative industries, broadly speaking. Um, There was a lot of, there is some work that I have done around the use of digital media and how AI can be used to create digital media, but also um, whether systems, big sort of boring uh, operational data science cloud systems can be put in place to make sure that uh, digital media can be consumed, produced, and shared um, easily across across cities. I'm curious, we'll get in as we get in more into your camera, kind of how you're utilizing that, but that makes a lot of sense now with your background in that sort of thing where a lot of the, like the genesis of this camera came from. So I guess I'll ask you that yeah. now. So what made you decide at what point to make your own camera? And what was it like getting that off the ground? Yeah, well, um, I think, yeah, as mentioned before, I was operating as a content creator, but at the time I never actually thought that I'd be building a camera. Um, And that wasn't until I met Liam, who is um, our CTO and one of the other co-founders. And he actually presented the idea to me on a a entrepreneurship program that we were on called Entrepreneur First. And Entrepreneur First is a sort of deep tech accelerator based um, in London. And um, the whole point of the accelerator is where like 100 strangers come together and they are required to build a deep tech startup from scratch. Like that's the whole point mm. of this thing. And um, when Liam presented his idea to me, I thought it was kind of crazy, uh, <laughs> to be honest with you. But it kind of made a lot of sense um, thinking about it um, objectively and rationally. Uh, the, the core sort of, the core idea is that, look, Liam is a, PhD, hardware-focused engineer, and he's always built software and firmware for embedded AI systems um, that are that catered specifically for creatives. And so he's done a fair amount of work in the music industry, but he also has a very deep passion for photography. Mm. And as I mentioned before, he's got these very old Soviet-era cameras and lenses, and he's collected them for a really long time. And um, I was this data scientist in the creative industries and operating as a content creator, working with video cameras. And um, based on that, uh, that combination of me and Liam made a lot of sense because uh, we thought we were actually both frustrated by the lack of innovation that was happening in the camera industry, broadly speaking. And so for us to come together and build a new generation AI powered mirrorless camera for content creators actually made a lot of sense. Um, and at the same time, we knew that the, the creator economy was taking off. And um, yeah, based off that, based off that union and, and that that common frustration, we thought this would be a great idea to to, to build, but also a, an, an idea that we'd be committed to for the foreseeable future, uh, regardless of the ups and downs that comes with building a 
difficult, difficult product like this. Sure. Uh, so the core mission of what we're really trying to do is to build a device that is much more catered to and uh, is built purposely for this new generation of content creators. Um, one that really meets the needs of a fast paced content lifestyle. And um, I sort of touched upon it before, but our, our, our core like idea or our core um, problem that we're looking to address is that we felt that these cameras, the mirrorless cameras and DSLR cameras that currently exist were never really made for this new era of content. Yeah. A lot of the engineering and thought process that went behind these mirrorless cameras actually happened 15 years ago or like a, a decade ago. Sure. And now yeah. you've got technologies that are being shoehorned into the cameras. Uh, but fundamentally, you know, these, these, these mirrorless cameras use really outdated central processing units, really outdated CPUs. They lack the modern capabilities of, of, of apps and editing. And um, there's a lot of complicated buttons on the back, which for me personally, I don't make use of uh, as much. So um, we had this idea. We, ha we thought we had a strong team as we sort of came together to build this idea. We noticed that there were trends that were happening in, in the creator economy. And so for us to validate this idea, there was loads of things that we needed to do. Uh, we didn't just need to validate it from an engineering perspective, uh, but also from a sort of market perspective. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we built a prototype. Um, we took that prototype to a conference. We then built another prototype and then we iterated again. And it was a constant iterative approach that we took. And I just trusted that Liam knew what he was doing from a technical perspective. And then Vic, who's our third co-founder, uh, runs the operations and the finances. And I really trusted what he was doing from an operations perspective. And my job was to just go out and speak to as many um, photographers, videographers, quote unquote, content creators that we could get our hands on just to understand um, their problems and, and pain points. Okay, so there was a lot to unpack about what you just said, which I thought was awesome. Um, so I, I don't understand how it, what goes on inside a camera like Liam does, but I have noticed the same sort of frustration, at least in my mind, that um, like I just know, like I can render 4K videos like crazy on my smartphone and it has no problem doing that. And then all of a sudden you get to a two, three, four thousand dollar camera and it can't like the processing output and the speeds of which it can do things. And, and then just like whenever there's like even a, a slight smart feature, like these are very sad attempts at smart features. It'll be the same thing. It'll be just cumbersome process. It takes forever. And then I'm just like, why can't we get one of these chips on it? And that makes a lot of sense to me that there'd be a lot of advantages to building something from the ground up with this, a totally new concept and focus, which is computational photography. I read on your website, so you can let me know, but you're the, Alice camera itself actually does have its own processing power and stuff. So it's not just transferring everything off to the phone to do that sort of thing. Um, but it's has stuff that it does itself and it's, you know, using the phone as well to help. The camera has a novel hardware stack and we use a modern Qualcomm Snapdragon chip. And, and the chip has an octa-core CPU, a GPU and a DSP specifically for computer vision applications. But we've also additionally added a Google Edge TPU for uh, very specific AI accelerated processing. Now, what that means is that none of the processing is done on the smartphone. All mm. of it is done on the camera. Um, and um, that has loads of advantages because you want to be as close as possible to the raw sensor information. 
when you're applying the computational photography and the processing gotcha. to get the best rendering of colors and quality. Um, whereas the phone, the phone at the moment literally only acts as a display and a remote control and a viewfinder. There might be situations in the future where we have a hybrid architecture where like some processing can be done on the phone, but at the moment, zero processing is uh, for the for the actual image and videos done on the phone. It's all done on the camera. Yeah, that's really cool because I've seen, um, I'm forgetting off the top of my head, but there's some products that, um, or even Google got accused of this, which is funny, but they just, to do some computational stuff, they just upload your photo to the cloud and then do it there which is, um, yeah. I guess, okay, okay for some, but then there's that like upload time and what if you don't have internet access and um, yeah. yeah, so that's way cool that it's happening on the camera itself. And by the way, we're only using like currently, like with our first, um, with version version like one of, of release, we're only using 30% of the capacity. So we have like mm. so much more capacity to use uh, going forward, which is really exciting. Yeah, that is really cool. What sort of, um, give me an example of some some computational AI kind of powered features that are already in the camera right now? Before answering that question, I think it's important for the audience to understand um, what we're doing so far. Uh, yeah. Again, a point of difference between us and a traditional camera company or a traditional mirrorless camera is that if you look at traditional mirrorless camera, they have a dedicated chip on the main uh, electronics board and the sole purpose of that chip is to do the image signal processing. So in other words, traditional camera companies have hardware-based ISPs. Um, Alice Camera, on the other hand, does all of our image signal processing entirely software-based, and uh, it's tuned entirely using artificial intelligence or, or deep learning. And that is run on device in real time. So firstly, the benefits of having a software-based ISP versus a hardware-based ISP. Yeah is that our ISP is flexible and gets better over time with the training and the unique and growing data set that we're collecting. So we, we actually believe that our ISP is the first of its kind in the traditional camera industry, excluding smartphones. What you notice is that smartphones like uh, iPhones and the Google Pixel that you just showed, they are all software-based ISPs mostly for the most part. And so coming back to your question, the computational features or the features that we run on the camera are all computational based mm, gotcha. and all software based and all have a component of AI to them. So uh, if I was to sort of run them off the top, um, if you look at our white balancing, that's, uh, that's a software based feature and an entirely AI based computational feature. We uh, essentially um, go to different places and different cities around the world with a color checker. And we just stand in the scene with the color checker and that's all the data that we need to give back to the camera to teach and train the camera what the right white balance should be in that seat. That's interesting. I'm just imagining like white balance has been trained in London and in Barcelona and it's like, yes, that's New York City. I was in Manhattan earlier this year. Wow. Yeah, well, as camera companies actually just have labs. They have like these labs um, in their offices and they have um, loads of engineers um, and they, they take a really scientific approach and they have the color checker, they have different objects in the lab, they change the, the Kelvin of the light um, and that's fine. And, and what they do is they take that and then they bake it into a chip. They literally bake in mm. the white balance to a hardware chip. And if you want slightly a slightly better color science or a slightly better ISP, it can't really be updated. You need to buy a new hardware. You need to buy a new camera mm. that they will release in five years time. 
Whereas ours, um, even though it's um, young and 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 and, and naive, uh, it's still performing really, really well, and will get better over time because it's software based. So, the like just the paradigm, like just thinking about that paradigm, uh, allows uh, allows me to answer your question, which is, you know, these are some of the computational features that we're doing. So white balancing is one of them. It's the same process with uh, exposure as well. Uh, we also have um, uh, quite what we what we're, we're calling um, AI color enhancement. The way the color enhancement works is very similar to um, an iPhone or a Google Pixel when it comes to HDR enhancements. So shadows are brought, like details in the shadows are brought up. Um, there's a lot of HDR that happens. And again, we've collected a lot of data. We've um, produced that data and 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 sort of trained the model to learn those differences. So that's a computational feature. Some other things that are in the roadmap, um, actually, before I go to that, what we wanna do is make sure that the camera is working reliably and well when sure. it comes to those core features. But in the future, we are very excited about uh, burst mode, image stacking and super resolution, uh, which are sort of traditional computational features you see on smartphones. You wanna bring that over to the Alice camera. So just as like an anecdote, and I don't know how many other people have played with smartphones. I know sometimes photographers, at least like people that follow me and stuff are using traditional cameras, look down on smartphones. I think smartphone photography is cool. Um, and just as an anecdote, so my father-in-law, who actually has a wonderful creative eye, um, but doesn't want to learn all the knobs and dials and how the shutter speed and aperture works, um, takes beautiful photos with his iPhone 12 mini. <laughs> so it's this tiny little thing. And he was asking, should I get a different camera? I was like, honestly, I mean, he hikes up mountains. I'm like, how cool is it to just bring that little thing? Don't bring a huge setup and he can do the handheld like um, waterfall, like the long exposure, the simulated long exposure of a waterfall. And it looked awesome. It's like, man, if I had to bring that, I'd have to bring a tripod. I'd have to bring this camera and this lens and an ND filter. And <laughs> But you're doing it all there. So that's cool that you're saying some of those things would come because that that's, that's where I want to see it go because no other camera manufacturer is getting really close to there yet, honestly. Yeah, and it comes really back down to the hardware point that I was mentioning before. The reason these traditional cameras can't keep up with these computational features actually comes down to the the technology architecture and infrastructure that runs on these devices. True. And it's almost like saying, you know, if you have a Swiss watch, like maybe by Rolex or whatever, Patek Philippe, that you bought in the 1980s, a vintage Swiss watch, that watch is not going to be able to tell your heart rate because it just doesn't have the technology inside of it that, that allows you to do that. And like similarly, like trying to get uh, a traditional mirrorless camera to do these features is impossible because they don't have the hardware or software architecture that's been designed or in place to allow those features to, to happen. Whereas Alice camera um, can do these things in the future because when we started building the camera, uh, we wanted to be the first and most comprehensive AI-driven computational camera on the market. And so we gave a lot of thought into um, a lot of core, a lot of the core decisions that we made about the architecture have been made with that in mind. And so making decisions like using a Qualcomm Snapdragon chip, which is typically used in a smartphone, right. and an edge TPU on the device, um, gave us not only a lot of hardware horsepower to open up these possibilities, but it allows us to future-proof the camera for the next decade. So that, you know, if you uh, wanted to 
add these features over time, they can be allowed. And we can talk about this a little bit later, but we have a, uh, fundamentally, we have a semi-open access, open source philosophy where we want to allow some of our developers and community in the future to build their own features if, if that's something that they wanted to do. So, so we have, I think we have a very different, we've just approached the engineering of the camera in a very different way to how things have been done before. Yeah, and I do want to get to that open source bit in a minute because um, I did see that. Um, are, do you think that Sony and Canon and some of these other, do you think they have something in the works behind the scenes that they might be trying to do from the ground up? Or are they, do you think, I mean, we're just guessing here, but do you think that they are still like for the foreseeable future going to keep trying to just build on top of their traditional architecture? I need to be careful with what I say, but um, <laughs> sure. I can tell you, I can tell you for sure because we've had senior directors and board members from three of the biggest camera manufacturers in the world already reach out to us. Mm. Um, and we're taking those conversations step by step, but it's very interesting to see what they're thinking when we have those conversations. Um, chances are that, you know, they are thinking about some of these um, features, but to be honest with you, um, Apple and Google have been innovating on smartphones for the last seven to eight years. If these big camera companies wanted to do something about it, they should have already done it. You know, like yeah, they, they, yeah. they had the opportunity and chance to be doing it. Um, there's, there's, there's a more fundamental reason for why this innovation is not already in mirrorless cameras. And that comes down to a whole bunch of things. But if I was to summarize it, company culture is one particular reason. And the thumbs up comes appears, which is quite funny. Uh, but the <laughs> other reason is just like the technology, you know. Uh, and there's a reason why General Motors didn't build the first electric car. Yeah. Uh, and there's a reason why Rolex didn't build the first smart watch. Um, it's because these companies, including Sony and Canon, already have a, um, a user base, a target audience that are willing to pay $3,000, $4,000 for a flagship camera. Uh, they the, the, you know, the audience want the dials to be in a certain way. They want the camera ergonomics to be in a certain way. And it's very, very difficult for them to try something risky and experimental, especially over the last three years where we had um, one of the worst um, pandemics that we've seen as a society for, for like a century and a semiconductor shortage that was happening and a whole bunch of other things. So um, it was probably a risky bet for them. Um, right three or four years ago at the time when we first started thinking about it. Um, you, you can already see by some of the development that these camera companies are doing that they're trying to include AI into the camera or into some of the features. But again, it comes back down to the the core electronics and the the, the architecture that they've um, that they have for the mirrorless cameras. And we just feel that our our architecture is much more suited for some of these interesting computational photography software-based features that you're seeing on smartphones. And we want to bring that over to the mirrorless camera because we actually use a smartphone processor in the camera. We use a Snapdragon chip, which is typically used in a phone. Right. So I just did a, a lot of research into Kodak and why Kodak failed in the digital world. And um, I'm seeing some interesting parallels here. So I'm curious if you think, because we're on the cusp of like, uh, obviously we have some amazing computational powers that are already available but it's like more to come as they all as they say about this stuff like what we have right now which is amazing is like the worst version of it you're going to see so it's just going to get better 
Do you feel like there's some parallels there with going from film to digital? Like, are we on a cusp of like a, another photographic revolution where um, some of these large companies maybe are holding back because if they made something small and light that took amazing pictures as their $5,000 camera, they're like cannibalizing their own business. So maybe there's some, I'm just curious if you see any parallels between that. Yeah, there, there's definitely some parallels. Um, I think we've written about this um, actually in 2020. If you go on our blog, uh, Liam wrote a really interesting blog about uh, this new paradigm of photography that's happening. Uh, and we felt at the time, and we still feel at the time, that uh, we still feel today that um, photography is going through a revolution right now, much like when film went to digital, digital is going to AI. And um, we're going to see more and more computational photography and AI go into cameras. And we're just at the beginning. Yeah. And that's great for a company like ours, because before this wave really started to kick off and will start to kick off, we've got a product that has been designed to benefit from that wave. It sounds like you've caught the vision of that, but how does that feel like, do you think about that a lot that you could potentially be small right now, but could potentially be very, very large if this takes off a whole, everything goes into alignment? Uh, yeah, well, I think our investors want us to, to be like that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but um, I think, but, you know, beyond beyond that, yeah, absolutely. Like we, we, um, I think when you're a really big organization uh, and you're really stuck in your ways and you have a process and procedure in place when it comes to building your products, you are somewhat blindsided by the future. But that's not to say that these other camera brands are not looking at the future. Yeah. They clearly are looking at the future um, based on conversations that we've had, but also based on technology that they're putting into their product it's just much harder for them to execute on certain products um, because of the risk that's associated with it because of um, the technology that that they've built that, that we've already spoken about before so yeah we do think about um, Alice camera being this uh, new generation type of of, of device and uh, we we need to take it step by step you know we we operate under different KPIs as well you know for a camera brand to launch a new product, they need to hit a certain threshold of sales to, for that product to be validated in the market. And for us, we have just a completely different set of KPIs. And we're actually taking on a lot of the risk in the market at the moment when it comes to doing this um, engineering, um, just because we're trying to pave uh, a new path that hasn't really been paved before. Um, and so, yeah, we think about it, but I think you need to approach that with a sense of humility. You need to take it step by yeah. step. Uh, you know, arguably we still haven't even proven ourselves. Um, so we've still got a lot of work that we need to do, um, to go into the market, to develop, to refine the product, to continue developing, to actually prove that this is uh, a viable proposition. So, um, yeah. Let's take it step by step. But yeah, the, 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 the ceiling for an idea like the Alice camera is, is really high. Let's go back to that um, idea of open source, um, about this idea of um, that the app could be open source, the, the camera, like um, the SDK, I don't know exactly how exactly open source it is, and the ability for developers um, and really just hobbyists and tinkers who are into that sort of thing to be able to develop apps and kind of custom connections to the camera. So. Um, yeah, talk about that and if, if that's still part of the core of the product. Yeah, so at the beginning of the, the conversation, I mentioned that Liam is a um, honestly worldwide expert in building software and firmware for embedded AI systems. 
And actually, even though Alice Camera, which I'll sh I'll, sh I'll show a demo to your audience. Oh, awesome! Soon, <laughs> yeah, you got there one you with go. you. Nice. Even though it's a physical device, um, actually, Alice Camera is is um, it, that the, there's a whole software component to Alice Camera as well. So Liam's developed um, the core operating system that runs the camera is called Alice Camera OS, and it's a Linux-based operating system that pretty much transforms our hardware into a semi-open platform mm -hmm. for custom app development. So we've been able to build an iOS app and an Android app that communicates with this hardware. There's no reason why, and uh, we've actually got, we're signing up five major companies uh, that want to build on top of our platform quite soon, but there's no reason why uh, brands and companies and developers can't build their own apps that communicates with our hardware. Cool. Assuming that we provide a good level of documentation and we have a robust SDK that provides API access to the hardware, there's no reason why um, people can't develop their own apps. So that is a core and was a core part of the vision when we first started out. Uh, it's great that now in 2023, we're starting to see a bit of a bit of a, a pull for that. We're starting to see quite a few companies reaching out to us and saying, oh, this is really, really interesting. Um, we have a, an idea of developing our own multi-camera app mm -hmm. or um, a virtual production app or metaverse app. Can we use your cameras to do so? And we, we say, yeah, you know, you can buy cameras from us. We can provide you the access um, and feel free to go ahead and start developing. So we've got, already got some companies in the pipeline and we're running a beta program this year to, to actually figure that out. Um, but maybe, yeah, I, ideally in the future, we want to open that up to consumers and, and, and developers for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. I, uh, for two big reasons, I think that come to my mind. So one is kind of a boring reason, but I think an important one, which is that um, a lot of technologies um, that rely on smartphone connectivity. So the Alice camera does work independently from what I read, but you then you just don't have all the same controls. So it can be used as a standalone unit, but you can't see anything and you can't change some of the settings. Um, but I have some products that like will just not do anything. They don't even turn on really, unless you connect it to a smartphone. And there's always this fear in my head. Like I have a camera slider and they just stopped supporting it on the smartphone and there is no way to connect to it and turn this camera slider on, which is so infuriating. So the boring reason that that's cool is that um, it just gives you longevity to this product if if there's ways people can connect to it um, if if and hopefully this never happens but if Alice camera just yeah. went the, went the way of the world and then then uh, then people could still connect to the camera and use it and they would mod it and it would just give it life long past that which is cool and then the exciting reason is like you're saying is it is all these yeah. It just opens the camera up to so many different applications. Um, so you're, you have your own company innovating, but then you have another group of people or another company who has this very specific use case and they know what their, what their target customers need. And they're able to develop something, use that same camera for, to fit that application, which I think is awesome. And it's been tried before, but just very poorly. Um, so I, I did a little um, essay about this too. And back in the early 2000s, there was these cameras that had this thing called Digita OS and you could load these scripts onto it and yeah. it was open platform and it died. And then um, Android tried with some cameras and that didn't work. 
Um, so anyway, so this this idea really excites me. Yeah, and and we think there's a lot of pent up demand for it. Yeah. I mean, you just need to look at the Magic Lantern community, and, right. and you need to yeah. look at others that exist. And uh, even now, like you know, if you if you look at really popular AI uh, focused communities on places like Hugging Face or other places, this concept of like open source hacker development is uh, much more like. Um, much more, I think I think if you get it right, can be adopted really really quickly, and so again, bait, like with anything as ambitious as this, uh, you need to take baby steps. You need to iterate. You need to get buy-in from the right people, and and then you know once that's in, people then start to gravitate towards the concept or the idea, and um, it is very exciting. It's very very exciting. Uh, but again, comes back to uh, just our our philosophy, which is that if you look at most firmwares that run on traditional cameras, they are closed source by design. In fact, camera companies don't want you to go anywhere near yeah. Uh, the firmware. Yeah, or um, if they give they, you access to the SDK, which some com companies have, um, and I've played with, they give you access to like six functions you can call. Take a picture, <laughs> load the picture yeah, to your phone, and you're like, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so so we we want to encourage app development and algorithm development. That's another interesting one, mm. um, and uh, let's see where it goes. But again, um, baby steps, yeah. um, baby steps. So we've talked a lot about the um, kind of AI and computational stuff that's been going on with the Alice camera. But I'm curious now, just for people who are listening, um, give me an idea of just some of the practical things. Like, what problems in a practical sense does this solve for a videographer or photographer? if they're using the Alice camera? Yeah, so some of the practical features we think Alice camera can be helpful for is, um, I think the best way to approach that question is to break it down by personas. So if you've got a wedding photographer, for example, their job is to take really lovely photos and high quality videos of a wedding. Um, a lot of the times, um, the trade-off you get for better quality is that it takes just a longer time for the wedding photographer to give those assets back to the bride and groom. Yeah. So sometimes like, it will take like a month to, to get all those assets back. But maybe actually on the day, the bride is saying, oh, I really like that photo you've taken from me. Can you just like airdrop it to me so I can upload on my Instagram, on my Instagram stories? Um, if you're using a complicated DSLR setup or if you've got loads and loads of um, video cameras, it might be very challenging just to send that photo over, especially if you haven't done the color grading or anything like that. So an Alice camera we think can be really helpful as a B camera for wedding photographers to offer a uh, really fast paced turnaround content. So that's like one practical example. Another practical example is if you are a smartphone focused content creator. Uh, you've been using an iPhone for the past two to two or three years and you've gone from a thousand followers to 10,000 or 20,000 followers, chances are that you're, um, you become more quality conscious as you get better and better and more, right. and more famous. And it, uh, there's a reason why both you and me are using podcast microphones is because we care about audio quality. And so content creators also care about visual quality. And so we feel like um, the Alice camera would be a great investment for a smartphone focused creator that cares enough about quality now that they're looking for a step up in quality, but they also get a familiar smartphone user experience when they're uh, playing with the device. So yeah. they should be able to grab the camera and get going really quickly without having to learn 
complicated menu systems or buttons or anything like that. So that's another practical use case. And a third one that we're increasingly seeing more and more is from business owners. So these are like um, the owners of uh, your local bakery or your local dentist or maybe your local church or um, just like small business owners that uh, realize that content is an important part of their offering whether they're selling goods or services, who isn't a content business nowadays post-pandemic? Right, uh, yeah. I real, you know, you, you realize that if you produce content, you can really sell. And so these people are be also becoming more quality conscious. And we feel the Alice camera can be a great investment for them. And we're starting to see more and more of them pre-order the camera. Um, so those are some, some practical examples. Uh, but fun, like fundamentally, uh, where the camera can be really useful is... Uh, providing a smartphone-like experience whilst also providing superior image quality. And that combination, we feel, really caters for um, creators that demand quality and efficiency, especially for social media production. Yeah, absolutely. And I've it's been interesting to watch over the last couple of years when um, like Sony and Canon have had attempts at like <laughs> like vlogger kits. They'll even like call it like, this is a vlogging kit. And it's just so like not what those people expect. You're talking about the people who've gone from a smartphone and they're trying to upgrade. And it's just like, so I, I, I had this, um, somebody my wife follows on Instagram who has millions of followers and she posted a story showing, um, one of their, so her Sony camera that she bought. And she was so frustrated because she's like, I got this camera, um, because it's supposedly better quality. But as soon as I press record, it crops in. She's like, what is going on? And I had to, I mean, other people were explaining it on the, on the reel to the comments, um, explaining like, oh, well, you know, it has it. That's the 4k crop mode, but it previews at the higher mode. I'm like, what on earth? Like, this is so dumb. Like they're completely missing out on the point, which is like, people don't, they just want the better quality, but they want the same work. The workflow is great. So, so let's just keep that and that familiarity. Yeah. So I think that's a huge market to tap into. And I think, um, even for those listening to this, um, who are into traditional cameras, you might think like, well, I don't need like, you know, that kind of setup or whatever, but like you're saying for like a B camera or just like a family vacation camera, like I still take pictures with my smartphone and I have like 50 cameras. <laughs> so there's definitely still yeah. a use case for that. And you just want it to work and you want that, that quick sharing. Um, of an image that is just processed really nicely. It's not like an underexposed raw that you're like, well, then I have to put it in the Lightroom and bump it up. Or in the case of Alice camera, I mean, you can put it into Lightroom right there on your phone. And, yes. you know, so you've got, you got that combination of both like super ease of use for somebody who just wants it just to work and not touch anything. And then also be able to dive into the manual and uh, controls and things like that. We don't have Alice cameras out in production all the way yet. So they have been making their rounds. I've seen um, different um, creators use them and other photographers on the Instagram, which is really exciting to see them actually in the hands of some of these different people. This all started kind of back in, well, it's probably started before this, I guess the idea and stuff, but the um, crowdfunding campaign back in 2021, very, very successful and then launched. And then you ran into some production hurdles and things along the way. So I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about some of those hurdles that you've gone through and then where we stand right now. I mean, we definitely had a lot of challenges along the way. Um, I would say most of which are just were completely unforeseeable when we first started. So um, when we first started, it was like uh, early 2020, late 2019 was when we were doing research and speaking to content creators and understanding their pain points. And since then, I think my team's done a really excellent job to ride out those waves and get over to the other side. 
so for your audience here, yeah, we've been in pre-order for nearly three years. And whilst that's been um, extended beyond our initial expectations, uh, the reasons are really valid. I think the best way to communicate it would be to sort of break it down by time. Um, so in 2021, after the, camp the Indiegogo campaign, uh, a very, very severe chip shortage happened. Right, um, yeah. Which meant that basically um, the we had four components that were supposed to be the four core components of the camera. The delivery time went from like six weeks delivery to 60 weeks. Mm. So that's like a 10x increase in time. Uh, and so then we, like, obviously that wasn't acceptable. So we had to spend several months of like negotiations, doing severe engineering research to uh, basically validate that we could find other chips on the market that were capable of doing what we wanted to do. Um, and so we met, we ended up getting introduced to some senior members of Qualcomm. And that's when they recommended the Qualcomm Snapdragon chip that we're using, which is about four times more powerful than those four chips combined. Mm. And it does all of the things that those four chips uh, were supposed to do in one chip. So that like massively streamlined our supply chain, uh, our engineering, but there was a lot of work that we had, there was a lot of, we had to pivot quite a bit to get everything to work on the Snapdragon gotcha. ecosystem. As well in 2021, like back end of 2021, we did a lot of hardware changes. So we made the camera had to be a little bit bigger. We added a thumb rest and there was a bunch of other hardware changes that we made. In 2022, there wasn't really a moment like this in, in, in the electronics industry, uh, frankly speaking, like all the manufacturers were um, encountering several and persistent uh, delays. Uh, the Omicron COVID lockdown in China in particular was particularly bad because uh, whole cities like Shenzhen and Shanghai were just completely locked yeah. down. And we were sourcing like really small components from them, like resistors and, and a bunch of other things that we just couldn't get access to. So our components started to arrive late and at random times in a really unreliable way to our manufacturing facility. Um, and what, what that meant was that really vital components were pretty much holding up all of the manufacturing. So we, we'd have to wait sometimes months for... Uh, these small components to arrive, which meant that we couldn't just, you know, go ahead and manufacture a PCB because there was one or two components that, were, that yeah. weren't there. Uh, in addition to that, that also held up a lot of regulatory testing that we needed to do. Uh, when you're building a novel category defining groundbreaking uh, camera in the camera industry, there's like a ton of R&D complexity and, and manufacturing complexity, but there's also new regulations that you need to abide by. And so we couldn't do the regulatory testing that we needed to do in 2022 until these components arrived. So I think it was like mid 2022 when we uh, ended up completing the regulatory testing. Um, so we worked with some verified test centers and there's this thing called electrocompatibility regulation, EMC regulation, that you need to do uh, run by the FCC in the, in the US. Uh, and in the UK and Europe is, is a different um, is a different regulator. Um, usually, the process of going through these regulations is like twelve weeks, but some of them are taken over twelve months to mm. uh, do all the paperwork to get those final certifications. Um, and that's been a major source of frustration for us because it's, it's something that we massively underestimated when we first started. Uh, but the core problem that we have is that we're building a. Uh, we're building a, a Wi-Fi connected device, which is this camera that attaches to another Wi-Fi connected device, which is a smartphone. And it appears that these regulators haven't seen a product like this 
in recent memory. So there's like more and more questions that they have for us and there's testing that we need to do. Um, so that's an, that's been one really big challenge. And then lastly, manufacturing. Uh, we thought we were in the clear earlier this year around April, 2023 to just go ahead, do the, all the manufacturing. Um, but our, unfortunately, our manufacturer had an issue with one of the machines that they were using to, to make the, the cameras. So that delayed us a little bit further. I would say that the good news, um, actually, before I say the good news, uh, it's worth just providing just a little bit of context. Uh, someone made this comment in our Facebook group. But um, if you look at a product like the Cybertruck, which is being built by Tesla, this is like a trillion dollar enterprise. And they have hundreds of staff on this project. That project's been delayed over four years. <laughs> yeah. um, another example is Oculus. Like if you look up when Oculus was first launched their Kickstarter campaign, uh, and then when they finally delivered the units of their Kickstarter campaign, that was delayed over five years. So the factor of the matter is like, you know, if you're a small size company or a big size company, you have loads of experience, you don't have loads of experience. When you're building a novel category defining product, you start out really optimistic and actually your engineering timeline and your go-to-market uh, almost certainly encounters challenges. And this is before you consider things like a pandemic that got in the way and supply chain issues that got in the way. So the good news is that the, you know, the manufacturing is coming to completion and uh, we're very exciting that we're boxing up uh, batch one and batch two. Oh, cool. Very and cool. Uh, they're, they're, they're basically boxed up as we speak. Um, so, uh, customers will be getting those products soon and the regulatory certificates should be all coming through in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, it's been, a, it's been a long ride and I'm really, really proud of the team to, to, to kind of get over the line basically. Yeah, definitely. So you can't, but you can't ship them until you get the regulatory like thumbs up. Yeah. It's because, uh, in the U S in particular, uh, it's very, uh, you need, you need the certificates because if products aren't properly certified, then as a company, we can be subject to some quite serious fines. Yeah. Um, in, the, in, the, in the EU and UK, um, it's a bit more straightforward, but the FCC in the US is very, very strict. It's not a question of right now if the approvals will go through, but just like having to walk through the steps to get it done. Yeah, we've got the pass. Oh, the pass has been done for ages it's just getting those final bits of paperwork wrapped up so that um in the us in particular which is where most of our demand has come from that we um are all good gotcha. uh, and that we're not gonna you know face any issues so could could there start being some out to like customers in the in europe before yeah. people in us okay cool awesome that's super exciting yeah and uh i think it's about time i think one of your questions is like would i be nervous uh for the camera to be out yeah. to be honest with you yeah. i think it's about time that the camera's out um i've been personally using it for over 12 months for my day-to-day -day needs it's been like an absolute treat to use and all those value propositions that we spoke about before um are being materialized uh you know i use the camera to make all of our youtube content I use the camera to make all of our Instagram real content. I take it when I'm traveling on holiday and get some wonderful travel photos. Um, and I don't know if your audience would be like very, like with the time that we have available, like I can show just a quick demo of the camera, how it works. Yeah, that'd be awesome. If, if that's something that you guys want to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, just going back to that previous conversation, like this idea of familiar smartphone user experience with professional quality. Um, what you basically have is uh, this, your phone becomes the viewfinder of the camera. And 
you can see the latency is pretty good. Like it's it's pretty much real time. Um, we, if you want, to, so what you have here are the UI controls ooh, of the camera. Um, you can pull focus here. You can change aperture here if you like. Uh, and when you go into the next toggle, you have all of the sort of creative controls. So here you have our image enhancement algorithm. When it's blue, it means that the camera is doing it in auto. When it's when it's orange, it means you can make a permanent change so that you can reduce the amount of color that's being applied. You can increase the amount of color that's being applied. Um, you can get manual control if you want to, but you can also get full auto control. You can basically remove this, uh, remove the, the controls. And now you have a very auto mm, experience. Gotcha. Yeah. But if you want manual control, you can really get that. Uh, one thing that we're really proud of is this AI range finder that we've uh, developed. So I'm going to show, I'm going to try to demo this in reverse, but basically uh, when you half press, you have these, can you see these boxes yeah, that are sort yeah. of appearing? So when you half press, a sort of magnification, magnification comes into play. And when you manually focus, like I'm doing on my eye, when the lines come together, they will become blue. And that's when you know that the object's like absolutely in focus. I'm just trying to get it so that it touches. I'm amazed you have that on your eye. That's so such really a small target. So I know I'm in focus. <laughs> and I've now taken a photo, which is not a very flattering photo, that's ultra in focus. But what's great is that, yeah, you know, you can airdrop that to friends. You can bring it into Lightroom. You utilize that asset that you have available to you. And that's not just for photo. It's the same for video. Um, it's it's what, we, what we're trying to do is, is provide familiar smartphone user experience with professional quality. Um, and so, yes, um, it's about time coming. There are content creators that do have the camera. You're going to see a couple of YouTube videos coming out uh, within the next uh, month or so. And, um, you know, I'm just really, really, um, I'm really, really grateful to all the people that backed us during that campaign, uh, because without those backers who, uh, understood the vision that we're trying to portray, we wouldn't be where we are. And we needed those backers to get us over the line. We've got some wonderful investors as well that have invested in us, but those backers have been extremely patient. Uh, they've waited a long time. Uh, we've done our best to communicate all the challenges that, have come towards us, but I'm 100% convinced that when they get the product and when they get the camera, they're going to absolutely love it. And, um, they're going to have something that no one else has. So, um, it's an exciting time for us as a company to get the product out there. Yeah, that is really exciting. And I'm excited to see people to finally have it and, and, uh, start playing with it. And, um, yeah. And then just going from there, I'm, I'm also very curious what like V2 looks like and you know, how it goes from there. So, It'll be really cool to see. Thank you so much for talking to me, Michelle. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It's been great talking about this and thanks for the opportunity to, to talk about the product, what, you know, what goes under the hood, uh, the vision for the product and um, that sort of step that we're now taking where you're going to start seeing the product out and about. And we're, we're excited. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Happy Snappin'. I hope you found this discussion insightful. I have many more episodes in the works with creative and interesting photographers, so subscribe if you want to see more of those. I'd also love to hear your comments and thoughts about this episode and any general questions you may have or suggestions for future episodes, so please leave those.
You'll find more information about this podcast along with a form for like-minded photographers and more at www.snappiness.space. All right, go out there and take pictures wherever you are and with whatever gear you have. And until next time, happy snapping.